Every room in our house has a bookshelf and I curate <laughs> the bookshelves for our children. Since they were babies, we always read aloud together before dinner. I know Martin Cawthorn talks about his family reading aloud at the dinner table. Welcome to the Homeschool Journal, a show that unpacks the joys and journeys of the classical homeschool family. Here's your host, Carrie McGraw. Welcome back to the Homeschool Journal, where Lee Lowe is going to sit down with us today to talk about what is good literature. We're going to spend our time discerning what good literature is. We're going to talk about how to find good literature, and we're going to talk about the impact that it has on our lives. We'd love for you to like and to share this episode with friends and family and to subscribe to our channel to show your support for what it is we want to do here on the Homeschool Journal. It's great to have you with us. Let's hop into our show. Lee, welcome today. Thank you for having me. It's a treat to be here. Well, it's a treat for me as well. This is really exciting to be able to sit down with you today and talk about literature. But before we go any further, I really want to introduce you, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. So let me let me introduce you to them. And I want everyone to know that Lee Lowe is the daughter-in-law of Cheryl Lowe, the founder of Memoria Press and Highlands Latin School. Lee was one of Cheryl's first hired teachers. Um, she worked closely with Cheryl for years as a teacher, um, an editor, a writer. Uh, she helped develop Cheryl's vision for classical education. And Lee is currently busy, worthily busy, raising her five children, ages seven to 14. She has one son and four daughters. Um, I have one son too. We just keep telling him that he's going to be good marrying material. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Lee, of course, does this with her husband, uh, Brian, by her side. Uh, but she does find time to consult on curriculum, to train teachers at conferences, and to speak publicly about education and the vision of Memoria Press and Highlands Latin School. Uh, one of Lee's favorite projects was curating uh, the read aloud list selected for for our primary grades. Uh, Lee loves literature. She reads often and is working hard to raise her children who will recognize and love good books. And that's why we bring Lee here today to talk about literature. But also on a personal note, Lee, this is kind of a full circle moment for me because, um, you know, you uh, in my basement still resides videos of you teaching uh, Latin. And you taught my children Latin. That's I, I did. I did <laughs> teach Latin on some videos. So I know that I've been in a lot of living rooms um, yes. a, a, around the country. And that's a real honor. It humbles me. <laughs> yes. And, and my videos date back to like 2004, 2005. And that was prior to children for you. It was. That's exactly right. It, and so I'm always thrilled when people recognize me from those videos from long ago, pre-children. So um, I, I and you was, look the same. Well, you that's, look the same. Um, I, that's a very, very generous thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> well, it dates me because, you know, your oldest and my youngest are in class together. That's right. So, um, but that's, that's very special. But that's why it's special for me today to bring you in here, not to talk about Latin, not although we could, but we're, we've done that here on the podcast. So we're going to talk about literature. Great. And so the question for today is, you know, what is good literature. And, and in asking that question, I want to recognize that the word good, it's, it's kind of ambiguous. And so it's open to interpretation. So we need to interpret that a little bit. True, true. I think you're right. I think good can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So in the classical education world, um, you know, I think good means, um, means something 
weighty. I think good means um, there's a moral component. I think good means that it drives us to virtue. Um, and I think that good means that there's an eternal quality to it. Um, I think that it means that we're dealing with good authors. We're dealing with wise people who have something to teach us. Um, so I think good um, is when we think of it in classical education, we need to think of good literature as good in terms of one of the transcendentals, good, true, and beautiful, not simply entertaining as the world might view something that is good, something that is, um, uh, you know, uh, just worthy of a little bit of our time. We need to think of good as something, and like I said, weighty. Absolutely. And and then for me to set, to ask the question, what is good literature? I could also ask, what's real literature? What's what's rich literature to me? And that's where we want to go today. Sure. So we're going we're gonna to help our parents and our, our homeschool families define good literature. And to me, that it, there's another word I would use is timeless. Good literature is timeless. It spans across ages and, and time and stages as well. Because I think that good literature, um, you know, an adult could pick up um, an old children's book and still have a great appreciation for that beautiful work of literature, even though it was written for children. So this timeless quality, let's put some some tangible legs on this for our families so that they can explain to their children, sure. maybe not now, but maybe down the road, sure. to their families, sure. to those who aren't maybe classically homeschooling, what is good literature. So I'm sure. going to ask for your help with this. Sure, sure. I think so. Um, I, I think that good literature, um, like you said, is eternal. So it speaks it speaks across the ages. It talks about things that are perennial to man. We talk about the trials and triumphs of man. Um, we can pick up a book that's a thousand years old about, you know, um, we can read the Iliad and the Odyssey. And, and you know, um, Chesterton has a great quote. He says, you know, the Iliad is great because all life is a battle. And the Odyssey is great because all life is a journey. And the book of Job, because all life is a riddle. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that are eternal to man um, across the span of time in any circumstance. So good literature is going to talk about things like friendship and love and sacrifice. Um, and they are, they're going to, they're going to speak, they're going to speak to us across the ages, regardless of our circumstance. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think you're right being eternal. Um, and that's one of the things about great literature that I think um, is important to people because it's, it, um, I think people are sometimes put off by classic, literature because they think it might be intimidating, it won't be relatable. But really, the response to that, the antidote to that is do it, read it, and mm -hmm. you will see, you know, how telling, how beautiful it is and how relatable it truly is because it's about, it's about mankind. So what does it do for, so good literature, I think you said move, it can move people. That's right. right? That's right. That's right. Um, and how many times have we, I hope many, mm -hmm. you know, uh, closed a book and, and just had that deep feeling of satisfaction. Right. You know, um, personally, I have had the experience where I close a book and I have held it to my chest just for that moment of gratefulness and, and appreciation in the experience that I just um, completed. That's and, right. and that's, that's right. one of the things that we want, um, you know, literature, good literature to do for us. That's and right. I have one of one of my children will read 
and reread and reread again right. her favorite books. And she did it just this Christmas, mm-hmm. home from college. Right. I, I find her in her room. What are you doing? You've read that book three times. I know, but it's so good. You know, right. that is a beautiful quality right. of good literature. Right. right. You're exactly right. I think, you know, I think one of the things that um, is important, as you said, lit- good literature does move us. Um, and I don't mean that it, you know, it's just emotionally moving, although it can be and should be, um, but it really moves us to action. I mean, I think that we, when we read things and we see courageous action, we want to be courageous. We want yes. the world to test us, to test our courage. When we see sacrificial love, we want to we want to demonstrate that sacrificial love. I mean, as you said, there are a lot of times that I do the same thing. I'll hold a book or, you know, you close the pages and you tell someone you love them that you, you know, maybe have neglected to do and need to do, or you've apologized to someone, or, you know, you have done something bold that needed to be done. That And so I think, you know, that's an important quality about a good book is that it does move us and it moves us to action and which is why it's especially important to choose good books because if we are being moved we want to be moved in the yes, right direction <laughs> absolutely in the true the good and the beautiful right. you know right. in the virtuous that's right that's absolutely right. that's one of the most important things i think that i look for in good literature is, is the virtue that can be taught or gleaned right you know from that piece of work and from what that author has to share. Right. So, um, so good books, uh, can also, um, make us think. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the point about your daughter reading books over and over again, um, you know, again, Lewis says a a book that's not worthy of an adult is not worthy of a child because, um, you know, a a good book is a book you can return to again and again and again and get, and get something new, get a new nugget of wisdom, um, with each reading. In fact, this morning I was looking over some notes, um, about Charlotte's web and I've read Charlotte's web many, many times. I've taught Charlotte's web. I've helped with the study guides for Charlotte's web. And, um, and this morning I was looking over Charlotte's webs, web notes and And I just paused for a minute and I just thought, you know, Charlotte's Web is one of those great books that shows sacrificial love. And the the first time we read Charlotte's Web, we think this is an entertaining story about, Mm -hmm. you know, a spider who spells and a pig on a farm and the animals who talk. Um, But when you really think about it, you think this is a book about Fern loving Wilbur enough to save him and mm-hmm. Charlotte loving Wilbur enough to save him and Wilbur loving Charlotte's egg sack enough to save her babies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the more we read it, the more we can glean from it. And a good book has that to offer. I think that's one of the characteristics of a good book is it, it has room to, it, it gives us room to grow. Um, we can think about a book over and over again because it has a lot of wisdom within its pages. Right. And, and, and then, but I love the fact that you bro- drew out Charlotte's Web. That <laughs> book makes me cry. <laughs> it still makes me cry. But it's also important. It's re- it's reminiscent of or or demonstrates for me that how important it is in that what we read in the early years has great impact in what we read in the later years in what it is that we um, want to identify with and what we want to pick up. So when we're talking to homeschool parents, right. what we introduce to our children as kindergartners, first graders, second graders, we are building absolutely you know great things for them in when we choose that classically good literature um i know that you know when i have older kids you know i've got um 
some grown kids. And, and so their interests, I, I do remember, you know, as particularly as they got their own job and they started driving, their sure. interests broaden. Sure. They go out and they, you know, buy a book themselves and it'd come back in the house. But I'm going to tell you something. I always screened those books. Now, I hope they don't watch this episode, Lee, because <laughs> they don't need to know that. Um, but, you know, even if they didn't know mom was coming behind and picking up that book and kind of just scanning through, but, you know, never mm -hmm. because of of what we had done through Memoria Press. Right. You know, never did they bring into the home something that I thought, you know, I would object to. Maybe someone would call me a helicopter mom out there. I don't know. But, you know, this was important to me sure. that I laid foundations and I wanted those foundations to continue to grow. Right, right. right. And that's, you know, I think that's a good point because um, as our children grow, we do, and in, in the early years, I think we're very um, involved, obviously, in what they're reading. We're making selections for them. I personally like, personally, um, like to have a personal library at our house, so we don't you know, when, when my children, now that we have five, you know, need a book, we can, I can just point them. They all have a bookshelf um, in their individual rooms. We have a library in our home. And so we have curated our own um, library for the children to access books. Um, but they will go out. They will pick um, additional books. And that's part of the process of discernment. Um, and so, you know, I think that when we introduce a really great book to a child, and that's what we do hopefully through our curriculum is introduce um, just the gems, every single book that they read won't be a gem. But that's part of the process of discernment, being able to distinguish between mm -hmm. the good books um, and, and the books that are not quite so good. And so that doesn't mean that a book that is not a great book is a dangerous book necessarily. But um, reading broadly does help, I think, a child recognize what is good, as long as we're providing them those exemplary examples. Right. <laughs> the exemplary examples. Ex no, that's, uh, it's okay. It we're works. providing those, okay. <laughs> providing those examples, um, you know, of, of the truly, truly great books. So talk about a little bit about um, books on on fantasy. You know, why would we want to read sure. some of these books on fantasy? And then, you know, um, sometimes in early years, you you come across some, maybe some scary themes. Sure, you know, sure. And that, that you might think as a parent, oh, we need to shy right. away. I'm going to tell right. you a book that always scares the living tar out of me. Right. I know that's, right. that's a Kentucky term, right? Sure. Um, is Hansel and Gretel. I mean, you know. Right, right. But these, Some of the fairy tales, right, are right. kind of scary. So let's talk about these fairy tales, sure. these fantasy books, sure. and what they can sure. do um, for our growing children. Sure. Well, um, you know, I reference Lewis and Tolkien and, and Chesterton a lot because they, uh, this is sort of their wheelhouse in terms of literature. And Tolkien says, you know, of the Pegasus, horses are ennobled. Mm -hmm. You know, when you introduce the Pegasus, horses are ennobled. Mm -hmm. So fantasy literature um, done well really makes us appreciate what is ordinary. Um, you know, it's, um, it, 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 it demonstrates what is miraculous in the world by giving us a little bit of contrast. Um, fantasy literature is fantastic because um, I think Chesterton said, you know, um, we shouldn't be afraid of a dragon scaring the child because the books about dragon demonstrate to the child that the, that the dragon can be slain, that there is a St. George, you <laughs> yes. know? And so, um, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, the, the fear of a dragon versus the fear of a burglar, you know, for, for the child. And in fact, it's interesting because, um, I read aloud to my children and my, 
youngest children, um, my youngest daughters are first grade and third grade. And this month, for some reason, we're on a dragon kick at our house. We read, um, (laughs) I don't know why, but we read um, My Father's Dragon, and then we read um, The Reluctant Dragon, and then Custard the Dragon and St. George and the Dragon all in the last couple of weeks. And my first grader, I thought, you know, I wonder if, first of all, if The Reluctant Dragon is going to be a little um, too mature for her. The language is, you know, a little archaic, and the story is an upside down, upside down story in a t- in a way in, in that the dragon is not necessarily scary. And I wondered about St. George and the dragon, if the dragon would scare her. Um, but, you know, she just skimmed right through it. And, and I, um, and I asked her, um, you know, why, why do you think, you know, let's talk about these stories and talk about the contrast of these dragons. And I said, why do you think the reluctant dragon might be a funny story? And she said, because that dragon likes to meditate. And usually dragons have fire in their noses and that dragon didn't want to do that. (laughs) So she didn't get all of the, all of the language, but she understood, she understood that, you know, the dragon. And I said, why do you think that St. George is, um, you know, going to uh, slay this dragon. And she said, because that dragon represents the bad things. That dragon wants to do bad things to people. So he has to get rid of the bad things. Beautiful. So, you know, even Beautiful. in even young stu- young children, it's not that she's afraid to go to bed at night because she thinks there's going to be a dragon in her room, but she can, we underestimate the ability of the child to, um, to really grasp the meaning of these important books and to understand um, the symbolism and to understand um, just the nature of what they have to teach us. Sure. Now, you said something early on here, and it, and it kind of clicked with me, and it's, you know, fa- fantasy literature done well, I think were, uh-huh. were your words. And and to me, that is a key point because, um, you know, identifying Good literature. How do we identify good literature? And I'm going to give you some layman experiences sure, here. Okay, sure. I, I do not have the Lilo experience. Okay, um, I am a classical homeschooler, <laughs> but but so so for me, you know, it's it's not hard to pick up a children's book, and I'm looking for quite honestly, it, and it may sound <laughs> small, but beautiful illustrations, right? You know, just to open the pages of a book, I'm looking for the story. I'm looking for beautiful illustrations. I'm looking for something that um, is going to enrich them, you know, not just, um, you know, through the story, but visually. Okay. That's, that's my children's book. But then teens get a little bit harder, right? To identify things. And, and I often have talked to my kids about, not that they don't read some of these these fantasy books that quite frankly, I think are written for movies more than they're written for literature. Mm -hmm, Right. Right. And to identify those things. So how do we, how do we kind of work that out when we're standing in a bookstore with our kids, you know, right. And and identifying these two different um, age areas. Right. Right. Well, I do think it's easier to identify um, quality picture books. Um, because obviously they're shorter, you can pick them up and kind of glance at them and read them quickly. Um, and I, you know, I think you're right. I think you want to look for beautiful illustrations. You just want to look for goodness as a whole. You want to look for quality language. You want to look for. I always like to look for polite communication. That's something that oh, that's has so always important. been I didn't think about that. something that's really important to me. Even when the children, you know, were young and wanted to watch cartoons, I just, I just was, I really paid attention to how characters spoke to each other um, because I wanted, um, you know, polite discourse to be modeled. Um, and the good thing about, you know, the picture books and the younger and the books for younger children is that those authors are often very prolific. So you can find an author that you like, um, Bill Pete or Virginia Lee Burton, and usually they have a 
lot of books um, that they have produced, and they're and, and they're generally all excellent. So um, it's easy, I think, it's easier in the younger grades, I think, to just to um, to follow authors and um, and you end up with you know quite a, a resource. But that's also a good trick for older students as well. For my older kids, you know, it is harder, uh, particularly with my son. Um, you know, I can't I can't pre-read everything every anymore. Mm-hmm. So I have good friends who have boys a, a step ahead of me, and I'll mm-hmm. and I you know whose opinion um, opinions I trust, and I'll ask them. I'll ask their children. Um, and there are a, a, some resources. Martin Cawthorn has some great book lists. Um, mm-hmm. There's a book list, John Senior, which is the thousand good books, which are preparatory for the thou- for the for the maybe fewer a hundred great books. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that we just um, access um, references uh, in the best possible way. What about understanding some of these awards that you see on sure. the front of the book? Sure. Well, there are the the the, the, the truth is now there are a million different. Awards. Book awards. Right. 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 So, you know, I'd say that um, you the Caldecott Award is is was actually sort of an offshoot of the Newberry Award. Um, those medals were um, initiated in the late 30s, I think 1938, maybe. Um, and so the Newberry and Caldecott Awards are for children's literature um, and the Caldecott Awards specifically for illustrations um, because they didn't want to um, alienate. Um, illustrated books in in giving the Newberry Award, so they kind of uh, forked that award off to give mm-hmm. so that there would be two two different awards. Um, the Caldecott Award, if you look at, at you know I often look at those book lists, and if you look at the the winners mm-hmm. for those, um, there are a number of books in our curriculum on the Caldecott Awards, sure. um, and so it's interesting. I, I like to look at those and see that you know they a lot of our books are from the 30s and the 40s. And so I'll look at those authors and then I'll look at um, maybe the runners up or the honorable mentions and sort of, you know, find a book that you like from one of those lists and then, um, you know, dig dig around that selection. Sure. Um, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't quite know as many um, of the more modern Newberry books. I haven't read all of those necessarily. I'm okay. kind of living in the classical world. Um, but the Caldecott um, list is very familiar. Okay. So, so in build, let's talk about building libraries. Sure. You know, in, in our homes and, um, our children's lives. And, and I'll give you a little, little personal story here. Um, I think it was, oh, it was several months ago when my oldest was finally moving out of the home, not in a bad way. I mean, right. well, actually it was very sad. It was very sad, yeah. but I was reorganizing the basement. I'm here going, I think we go to my basement where your videos are as well. Sure. But anyway, um, and and our library is in our and is in our basement. And so what I did was take some time to pull out, you know, all of my all of my kids having been through Memoria Press, mm-hmm. um, and and I piled each of the kids' books. Okay, you know, the oldest down to the youngest, and obviously some of those piles are still growing. Sure. Okay. Sure. So I took a picture of this and I put it on Facebook. If somebody goes and looks at my Facebook page and scrolls back, then you can tell me how many months ago this was, but. Because I did that because it was a moment of amazement to Mm -hmm. me to see all the beautiful works that my children had been through. Some I've been through. I can't say all. You know, I I didn't grow up as a classically educated young person. Unfortunately, I'm living that with my children, through my children, as many homeschoolers are. Absolutely. So, you know, and but what happened was after I posted this, my two older girls who are actually um, on Facebook, they called me and they said, Mom. That's not all our books. 
I have this one here with me and I have this one here with me. And that just expanded my joy all the more because they took with them books that I think we said earlier, books that move them. Right. 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 And what a precious moment for a mom to have these grown young women mm-hmm. who who had decided these these are all important to me, but I, these are my special books and I've taken them. So these are their libraries. Right. You know, that right. they're developing. And I want our homeschoolers to know if you're sitting with a kindergarten book, you're sitting with a fourth grade, it doesn't matter. You're developing a library. And right. that's important. Right, right, right. And I, you know, I think that that's, that's something that I cherish as well. Um, there are certain books in our family that I've purchased a number of times because they are read so often that they just, you know, we lose a page. Um, they, you know, the cover comes off. Um, they're so dog-eared that, you know, they're, they become unusable. And so those are the precious books. And those are the books that, you know, even my 13 and 14 year old, my daughter about to be 13, you know, well, I'll be reading to the younger uh, kids and she'll come in and say, oh, I love that book. Can I sit and listen with you? And, you know, and it's just, um, they're, they, they're just nostalgic. They make us remember happy times um, in our family. So, you know, I think building those libraries, it, it, it is special because we remember um, special things about all of those books. And, you know, it, it just made me think, I, I wrote an article in the Memoria um, in in the classical teacher from Memorial Press about um, bookmarking. And, you know, that's one of my favorite things. When my mother-in-law passed away, um, my father-in-law gave me her books. And it was the most, you know, I... I cherish, I cherish that gift. It was one of the most endearing gifts I've ever received because it was a piece of her. I mean, the books that she selected, the books that she kept, um, you know, they, they, they told her life story. And so just having a, you know, a bookshelf full of her books, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, it keeps her with us. It keeps her with us, not to mention the fact that she marked in her books. And so I have literally her notes and her comments and her thoughts and, you know, how that book moved her and what words were special to her. I am going to chuckle because (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up because I brought, I brought you, (laughs) I brought you something I wanted you to see because your article is something I have done. I read it. Sure. And that was months ago. Yeah, I, you know, it was. I can't remember. But um, look, look, this is my book right now. It has a rubber band around it. And, it, you know, it has my my highlighter and my pencil. Right. And that's one thing, something you jumped ahead. I wanted to start, you know, talk about the bookmarking because um, it is, it becomes a piece of me. Right. And now you have pieces of Cheryl, right. you know, handed down to your family and how beautiful that is. But how much more we can get out of a book. Absolutely. When we, um, I want to say digest it in this way, when we stay in it. That's right. You know, and take the time to to notate our thoughts, to, to highlight the things that are most important to us. And then when we go back through it, pray that we do, that sure. it has had that impact on us. Mm-hmm. We have those original thoughts, right? You know that right. we can we can reference Absolutely. and hold again in our hearts. Absolutely, I yeah, I love. I you know I talk a little bit about you know people will say, well, you know there are so many options for um, reading these days. You know you can do Audible, and is that the same thing? Or you know an 
an audio, an audio book. Um, and you know, there are, there are distinctions in how we read. I talk often about, you know, completing a book versus comprehending a book versus contemplating a book. Um, and so, you know, I think that we need to be honest about how we're going to approach a book and not every single book deserves, you know, our full contemplation. I mean, there is, there is benefit to broad reading. And so, you know, we definitely listen to audiobooks in our, in our house. We listen in the car. We'll listen while we're doing something else, like maybe doing a puzzle or cut coloring, something where it's, you know, where I, I call that passive. So we're we're hearing the book, we're getting the story. Maybe it's a book we've already read once, or maybe it's a book that we're pre-reading that we will study later, or maybe it's just a book that's entertaining that we want just to, to fill out um, our literary experience. Um, then we can also read books for completion. And that's, you know, that's something we explain a lot to our parents. Um, you know, why do you only read three or four books a year when you have the capability or the opportunity to read 10? And we'll say, because there's a difference between completing a book and contemplating a book. And then, um, you know, so you can complete a book, check, I've done it. You can comprehend a book, you know, understand what has been said, or you can contemplate it, which is what you were speaking about. You know, know, pen in hand, thinking about the words, marking passages that move you, you know, noting beautiful language, connecting with previous books that you've read. Um, And, you know, that's really, I think, where uh, I think – I think contemplating books is what breeds um, lovers of literature. Right. I was going to say, I, I think true that's readers. Right. right. I mean, I think that's, Consumers I think when you, that's exactly of, right. Yes, I think, consume. right. When you, because it's like a prize. When I make a connection in a book, um, you know, I, I feel like, I, I feel like I've won a race. I feel like I've won a prize mm-hmm. when I can, when I can see a theme or when I can see a connection or I can, when I can discern that this author obviously read this author or obviously read this book and I can see the influences of, of, um, the books, um, and the experience of the author, it, it feels like a prize. Um, it's like a game. Um, and so I think that that, it, you know, really thinking deeply about our books enriches the experience to the extent that it does breed true lovers of literature. Right. So I also think that, you know, literature has an impact on the whole family. Sure. And, um, and, and a perfect example of that is your involvement in writing these, our our read aloud lists, you know, read alouds are very important in that. I think, um, in some of those lists, what they're doing is they're pulling children forward in their education. Mm -hmm. They're not holding them back. Right. They're pulling them forward. And I'll often encourage, um, our homeschool families to, you know, take those moments with read alouds, whether they're from our list or something mm-hmm. else, sure. you know, and snuggle up on a couch sure. and make it a multi-generational event or moment. If you've got a second grader, a fifth grader, a seventh grader, enjoy each other's books. You know, maybe let that uh, that that fifth grader read to the, the first grader while you're there, right. while you're there with them. Right. But it has the opportunity to impact the entire family, this good and rich and beautiful um, literature. So, so that's in our homes. Right. So how does that work in your home? Right. Well, you know, I do think that we all, um, reading is a priority in our home and, you know, I, I call it a family value. You know, Mm -hmm. we, um, we read together. Um, there's, um, 
I build it into the structure of our routines. So on Monday mornings, we gather for prayers and we read religious materials. Um, you know, everybody, every every room in our house has a bookshelf and I curate <laughs> the bookshelves for our children. We read aloud together I, since they were babies. We always read aloud together before dinner. I know Martin Cawthorn talks about his family reading aloud at the dinner table. Um, and so it's just, it's just a routine that we have put into our family life. Um, and, um, you know, I, we prioritize, we prioritize books over other things, over technology and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and part of it is, you know, I think it has to be modeled. My husband and I are readers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I try, you know, if the children, you know, if I, if I'm off doing something on my own, you know, I like for them to find me reading. So right. I, you know, I, I want, and I like them to see books on my bookshelf. Um, I'm also taking, you know, classes with Memorial College. So I'm studying hard books too. And so, um, you know, I, I think that modeling, um, a love of literature is, is important for, for, for families. And, you know, the beauty of literature is that it can be, you know, Ben Sass says we can be all alone together. Um, we can be, or we can join the great conversation and be all together alone. We can read aloud as a family. We can, you know, it, it, it really accommodates, um, you know, individuality and, um, community all in, all in one. Um, so I, you know, I think it, it's, it's important. And we, we join a community when we read a book. I think that's, um, a significant thing, uh, for, for people to understand is when we, when we read a book, we have a whole new, we have a whole new body of acquaintances. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and which is why the classics are great because we can all be friends with Toad and we can all, you know, just love Wilbur and, you know, <laughs> all together we can, we can appreciate these characters who are now part of our lives. <laughs> so I love, I mean, what you said about modeling. I don't know that I have been the best at it, but I can say this in a practical term. I'm going to talk mom terms here in a minute. Sure. I don't like big purses, but my purses have to be big enough to fit a book. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, sure. And everything else that a mom needs, you sure. know. Sure. Um, but but that's, uh, you know, what I think my children have seen. I thought I'm either carrying around... Mm -hmm. um, it, Quite honestly, sometimes it's the classical teacher, mm -hmm, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's even got its own highlighter. I right. Mean, it's ready to go. Right. Or, you know, that that book is going to fit in, into the purse and end up somewhere in the car because at some point in time, I'm waiting for somebody to get done at a practice. Sure. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like There's that. always a book in my car, too. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, finally, I, I just want to touch on. You know, the world around us out there as as parents, um, as homeschool families, as classical educators is, to me, is some of it's just melting. And, and, you know, you read about this book is banned here and this book can't be read here and it's not appropriate for this reason and not appropriate for that reason. And, and I want to leave our parents with encouragement to stay the course. You know, to read the hard books, to read the books that move them, right. like you've said, to read the books that make us think, right. to read the books that bring us into real life, mm -hmm. you know, that make right. us really experience. Right. Um, and, and I know, and we'll talk, maybe we'll, we'll end on resources, but, but Lee, let's leave them with some encouragement in, in choose the good. Right. So how would we, how would we tell parents to continue to do that when, when really the influences around them are, are kind of going another way sometimes? Right. Well, you know, I think I, I have two points here. The first is that, you know, as homeschooling mothers, as parents um, with busy lives, you know, it's hard to um, you know, sometimes it's hard to prioritize, you know, picking up 
Shakespeare as opposed to doing the load of dishes in the dishwasher, oh, you know? Oh, my goodness. So I think you just have to recognize your circumstances. And so honestly, um, you know, when my children were all younger, I had five children in seven years. And I didn't I, – I was too exhausted. I, I did not pick up Dante at 10 o'clock <laughs> at night when I got in my – you know, got in bed finally. And so, you know, I, I had to recognize that at that stage of life, what I could do was sit on my couch with my children and really pick great picture books mm-hmm. because I was reading to them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, one of the best pieces of advice – I also married into Latin and I didn't have a formal classical education growing up. And the best advice my mother-in-law Cheryl Lowe um, gave me was start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. Don't start where the seniors are. Start with your kindergartner. Okay. And so that's, I think that we have to humble ourselves and say, if we're going to read these great books, we have to recognize where we are as parents. We have to recognize our circumstances. And we have Beautiful. to we have to appreciate the fact that we have a toddler who's reading a picture book, so let's pick the best picture book we can pick. Mm-hmm. And then our children are going to grow and we're going to grow with them. Mm-hmm. And so we can pick good books all along the way that fit our circumstances, that grow us intellectually, that grow us, you know, morally, spiritually. Um, And, you know, we can just grow right along with our children. And we just have to every single time choose what is good, choose what is true, choose what is beautiful, and recognize what those, you know, recognize those qualities in the books that we are choosing. And you've, you've, really made an important point point here that, you know, sometimes in stages of our lives, the best we can do is read what our children are reading. Absolutely. There, there's just so much of us to go around. Absolutely. And I don't want any mom out there or dad out there to feel guilty that at that stage of their lives, they're not reading, you know, like you said, Dante or, you know, Absolutely. something like that. Absolutely. Because those stages move. They do move. And they do move. And the important thing about that also is we don't, we don't start our children with Dante either. Right. I mean, we don't, you know, so our children have to have those stepping stones, as do we. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to recognize, um, you know, that we we need those influences. We need to learn how to mark a book, and we need to recognize, you know, um, the the goodness and the truth and the beauty in, in a third grade book. We we can't even read the Iliad and the Odyssey without understanding, you know, Greek myths well. So, right. you know, really, we have to recognize that there are stages to these, and the great and the classic books are the they're the tools that, that the great authors use. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have those references. We have to know what they're talking about to enrich the books that we choose and to enrich the classics because, you know, it's a community of great authors who are all, um, you know, sharing their wisdom with each other. And so we have to very conscientiously step, um, you know, along so that we are, we, that those books are accessible to us. Um, so I think, you know, reading along with your children is really the the best place to start. So resources, let's finish on resources. You know, where can a parent go to say, well, where is a place to start? What is a good book? You know, mm-hmm. I know that Memoria Press and Highlands Latin School have both have uh, read aloud lists or for Highlands Latin School, a summer reading list that mm-hmm. is is a beautiful list as well. Um, those can be found on, you know, our, our websites, you know, so on and so forth. But what are some other resources parents can go to to make those choices? Sure. That's a great question. Um, And I think that, 
um, that, you know, you hit on two, two good resources for our community, which um, include the Highlands Latin School Summer Reading List and the Memoria Press lists. Um, also, the John Senior List, which I mentioned previously, um, I think grooms um, students in classical education well for the books that they will read. That's a difficult list to exhaust. It's a thousand books. <laughs> um, also, you know, when my children were younger, I liked um, Honey, for a Child, Honey for the Child's Heart, um, which is a great um, book of lists with um, recommendations for students mm-hmm. in various age categories. Um, and then and something else that I do often is um, just follow the references in the books that I'm reading. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when we read good books, we're reading, we're, we're entering a community um, of authors and characters. And so, um, you know, we have to recognize that these great authors respect each other and they reference each other. So even in our narrow stream of literature at Memoria Press, you know, in the Moffats, they talk of the Horse of Troy. And in Anne of Green Gables, you know, they act out King Arthur. Um, and so in our literature, we can find resources for future reading. Um, and so I, I think that that's something that I do when I'm reading a book and an author is mentioned or a character is mentioned um, or a book. I'll keep a separate list and I will use the reference in the book that I'm presently reading to um, sort of recommend books that would enrich this reading experience, but also provide, you know, a, a, a future uh, a future book that I would probably enjoy that is meaningful um, and has, you know, is relatable to what I'm presently reading. Lee, I had never <laughs> thought about that. That had never in all my years of parenting. Where were you? This is why you're here today so that others can take advantage of your wisdom and your experience and your encouragement and your ideas. And I would never would have thought to read what was, you know, mentioned in pre in other books. Boy, you're going to make me now reread some books to go see what's well, out there. Well, isn't that the goal that we all isn't just keep reading? So. That's right. so when I pick up the Moffats tonight at home and my 14-year-old wants to know, what on earth are you reading, Mom? I'm going to go, just a minute, just a minute. I got to find this. There you go. There you go. Well, Lee, thank you so much. And I want to just say this was a perfect time with you to just really glean information and share information on really the, the definition of what is good literature. And we did not leave that word ambiguous in this conversation. I don't, I don't think so. Carrie, thank you so much. It was a real treat to be here today. This is a great day. Thanks, <laughs> right, Lee. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Homeschool Journal. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like our episodes, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. Help us to find more friends to join our homeschool family. I want to give a huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show and ask that you check out all of our great podcasts there. As always, I'm Carrie McGraw. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.